This is the Alcazine Brief with Peter Hofflin. In this edition of the Onkosim Brief, I'm talking with two different people about exciting data to be presented at the annual meeting of the American Society of Clinical Oncology, or ASCO. Our first interview is with Dr. Christian Marchesi, Senior Vice President and Head of Late Development Oncology Research and Development at AstraZeneca. Our second interview today is with Dr. Jeffrey Skolnick, Vice President Clinical Development at Innovio Pharmaceuticals. But to start our program today... I guess we can say that without a doubt, we're living in exciting, albeit strange times. Instead of meeting in person in Chicago, where we would normally meet for the ASCO meeting, this year, as a result of the coronavirus pandemic, we're meeting online in a virtual environment. It's a bit getting used to. And while there are many advantages to meet this way, including less travel and the fact that we're promoting the safety and health of everyone, there are definitely a number of drawbacks. I guess, first and foremost, meeting this way will never be as good as being in the same room as with someone else, somebody we meet or want to talk to. It cuts back on the benefits of networking, since it's harder to engage with someone through a video screen, which also means that it's harder to concentrate on what is being said during the presentations. But having said that, this year the ASCO organization has been hard at work to offer a unique scientific program for oncology professionals, patient advocates, and industry representatives. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is The Ongus in Brief. The Ongus in Brief is developed in collaboration with our online journal, Oncozine, at www.oncozine.com, where you can find additional information and the latest news about cancer, cancer diagnosis and treatment, and cancer prevention. On the phone with us is Dr. Christian Marchesi, Senior Vice President and Head of Late Development Oncology Research and Development at AstraZeneca. Dr. Marchesi, welcome to the Oncosim Brief. Now, before we're going to talk about the data you and your team are presenting during the 2020 ASCO meeting, how are you and your friends and family and your larger family of co-workers at AstraZeneca doing during this coronavirus pandemic? First of all, thank you for having me and uh, thank you for the question. Everyone is uh, very well. I'm well. Family is very well. So it it is strange times, but we are coping with it. A little bit more times, uh, I, I'm able to spend with my family. This is a good thing. Of course, uh, I I miss uh, professionally the interaction with uh, with uh, my teams. I'm I'm meeting a large group of clinical and clinical operation people in AstraZeneca, but uh, but I think we are coping well. Under the circumstances, that is good news. I guess for us here at Ongazine and the Ongazine Brief, we'll be missing the live meetings. They are, I would say, highlight of the year with unique opportunities to meet researchers, scientists, investigators, and have a good conversation with key opinion leaders, patients, advocates, and industry representatives. I hope that this is a one-time occurrence and that next year we'll be meeting again in person. Having said that, what are you and your team from AstraZeneca presenting this year? I hear that you have some exciting developments in your oncology pipeline. So tell me a little bit more about this. Actually, this year is uh, an an incredible year for AstraZeneca science. 
we have uh, Erasco more than uh, around 100 abstracts, uh, 19 oral presentations, uh, 10 late breakers, and we have one plenary. Actually, maybe if you allow me, I would like to, to, to spend a few words on the plenary presentation that is uh, uh, the Adura trials. This is a, a Nejuban trial with our IGFR-TKI inhibitor, Osimertinib, Tagrisso. It is uh, a trial that has been run in uh, nosmor cell lung cancer patients uh, with IGFR-TKI, with IGFR mutation, uh, stage uh, 1B, 2, and 3A. So after resection and uh, eventually chemotherapy, the patient were randomized to receive uh, osimertinib or placebo. The study was uh, unblinded two years ahead of uh, time because overwhelming uh, uh, superiority in the osimertinib uh, arm. You will see the the date at the plenary. I can I can share with you that the hazard ratio observed uh, in terms of uh, DFS uh, improvement, in especially stage 2 and 3A, is dramatic. It's 0.17, so with a, a, a reduction of disease progression of 83%. And when you see all the population, uh, stage 1B, 2 and 3A, is uh, uh, also dramatic improvement with an hazard ratio of 0.21. So this is the first uh, uh, very large, well-powered phase three study showing that uh, an EGFR-TKI, Tagrisso specifically, can bring uh, an incredible benefit to lung cancer patients with EGFR mutation that have been resected. They still carry a lot of risk of relapse. We believe it's going to be a, a practice-changing uh, trial. When you say practice-changing, what does that mean in this case? Is this a late-stage trial, a phase 3 trial? It's a phase 3 trial. It's actually an early stage because it's investigating the use of Tagriso in patients that have been resected, so receive a, a surgery for their lung, lung cancer, EGFR mutant. Right. So when you look at late-stage trials, or in this case, practice-changing developments, does that mean that patients who are being diagnosed can expect a different standard of care? Is the standard of care changing? It is possible, and actually we, we are uh, initiating the interaction with the health authorities around the world. Because of the magnitude of the benefit, we believe that uh, these patients, uh, it's possible that we will have, they will have uh, the access to uh, uh, having uh, this treatment after their surgery. It's like the concept of uh, reducing the number of uh, patients that ultimately will relapse with the disease, uh, like in other indications is a common use, like in breast cancer. In this specific population of lung cancer patients, after chemotherapy, there was not uh, any agent, there is not any agent approved for uh, EGFR mute. This can be eventually the first uh, agent uh, available. Currently, of course, uh, the trial is being disclosed right now and uh, will be published. That is exciting. In preparing for our interview today, I was a bit overwhelmed by the large number of presentations and clinical trial updates. So it is a bit hard to select the most interesting developments. But one of the drugs being developed by AstraZeneca stood out. It is a drug that you're presenting. It's a drug called AZD9833. It's still in phase one clinical trials for the treatment of women with advanced or metastatic ER positive and HER2 negative breast cancer. 
Tell me a bit about the results of this trial. Yes, this is a drug that we are developing in, as you say, in the ER positive setting of breast cancer, advanced disease. Endocrine, in this specific setting, endocrine therapy is still the standard of care. And endocrine therapy for hormone receptor positive breast cancer is highly effective. However, patients tend to become resistant to these treatments. There are limited options after the disease becomes resistant, despite the combination therapies has been used together with endocrine acids. This molecule, AZD9833, is an oral CERD. CERD means selective estrogen receptor degraders. So this represents the next wave of endocrine therapies for uh, women with a male with estrogen receptor positive breast cancer. So uh, this is a drug that is potent, can work also in some of those tumors that develop resistance to endocrine agents. And the results that we presented at ASCO are, as you are mentioning correctly, phase one results. So results focusing on safety, preliminary efficacy, and of course, uh, pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamic data. While a lot can change, because this is still an early clinical trial, are patients in these trials experiencing any adverse events, side effects? And how are these side effects being treated? In other words, are patients really benefiting from the potential treatment option? This is a, in, in this preliminary experience, uh, uh, phase one uh, trial with a few tens of patients, the uh, activity observed is uh, very promising. We have a 19% response rate with a clinical benefit rate that is uh, uh, quite encouraging, exceeding uh, 40%. And uh, the safety profile uh, it is as expected by, by the class. So the drug is uh, well tolerated with a manageable uh, safety profile. These patients may have had previous treatments. They are not treatment naive. So how difficult is it to manage this heavily pretreated patient population? It is a challenging patient population. These patients received from one till four, five, six prior lines. So they are really heavily pretreated. Despite that, a large group of these patients uh, received benefit from the drug and uh, with the monotherapy. And let's not forget also the potential of this drug to be combined with other agents uh, like CTK46 inhibitors or other agents that uh, demonstrated activity in this specific setting. So we believe that this drug is uh, very prominent and actually our development is uh, quite uh, uh, aggressive in terms of uh, combination studies with pubocyclib or monotherapy. We currently have an ongoing phase two trial that we anticipate sharing results in the, ne in the next future. Let's take a break and then we're back with our interview with Dr. Christian Marchesi. Dr. Marchesi is Senior Vice President and Head of Late Development uh, Oncology Research and Development at AstraZeneca. In our interview today, we talk about new data that we presented at the virtual annual meeting of the American Society of Clinical Oncology, ASCO. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Youngest in Brief. Mm -hmm. 
Each day, researchers make new discoveries that bring us closer to the moment when all cancer patients can become survivors. Some days they take small steps. Others, huge discoveries lead to giant leaps forward. This progress, both small steps and giant leaps, happens with the help of clinical trials. Clinical trials are a fundamental path to progress and the brightest torch researchers have to light their way towards better treatments. And if you've been diagnosed with cancer, they may be your brightest ray of hope. Clinical trials introduce new hope in addition to the current standard of care by allowing researchers to provide participants access to cutting-edge and potentially life-saving treatments. So if you're interested in exploring new treatment options while helping to light the path for other patients, clinical trials may be the best choice for you. Speak with your doctor and visit standuptocancer.org slash clinical trials to learn more about clinical trials. Together, we can stand up for all of us. This is the Alcazine Brief with Peter Hoffman. And welcome back. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is The Youngest in Brief. Now, you're also developing a treatment for triple negative breast cancer. Before I'm going to ask you to tell me more about this drug development program, tell me why is triple negative breast cancer so difficult to treat? It's a, it's a very good question. A triple negative breast cancer that is affecting approximately 10 20% of all the diagnosed breast cancer patients in more aggressive disease tend to affect uh, younger patients, tend to affect uh, more Afro-Americans, Hispanics, even if can 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 eat uh, all the races, is uh, uh, also often related with uh, BRCA gene mutations. So it is uh, a, a disease with a more aggressive clinical course compared, for instance, with uh, estrogen receptor positive breast cancer is a disease that tends to uh, develop distant metastasis earlier. Uh, so uh, the prognosis uh, of uh, women with the triple negative breast cancer is definitely uh, lower uh, in terms of overall survival of five years, for instance, uh, uh, compared to the other subtype of breast cancer. And it's called uh, triple negative because these tumors uh, are not expressing estrogen receptors or R2. So this is why uh, this, this definition. So you're developing a new treatment option. Tell me a bit more about the study you're presenting. Sure. We are uh, developing uh, in this specific setting uh, our AKT inhibitor, Capivacertib. Capivacertib is a very potent uh, and selective uh, inhibitor of this protein called AKT that is uh, working in a, a very important uh, dysregulated pathway in cancer, included triple negative breast cancer, the PI3K AKT mTOR pathway. So this uh, uh, drug, capivacertib, these AKT inhibitors can be beneficial in this uh, uh, setting because uh, a subgroup of triple negative breast cancer uh, uh, have uh, this pathway dysregulated. So we have uh, initial data showing that capivacertib in combination with chemotherapy is uh, resulted in uh, uh, longer progression-free survival and longer overall survival in the context of a phase two randomized trial compared chemotherapy and, and placebo. 
So these uh, preliminary activity data are, are promising, and the combination of cabivazertib and chemotherapy was generally well tolerated with a manageable safety profile. That sounds very interesting. Now, we were also talking about lung cancer. You're developing a drug in collaboration with Hutchinson Medipharma, a drug to treat a very uncommon form of lung cancer. Tell me a little bit more about this study, the study results, and the trial for this drug that you're presenting during ASCO. Yes. The drug you're referring to is called uh, Savolitinib. Uh, Savolitinib is a drug that uh, we have been partnered with uh, uh, Hutchinson, um, also called KeyMed, since 2011. We are jointly developing and commercializing uh, the, the, the drug eventually. And it is an, an inhibitor of the MET protein. So it's a MET inhibitor. This uh, development of savolitinib that we're jointly doing with uh, KIMED is in osmol cell lung cancer and uh, also other MET-driven tumors like papillary nerve cell carcinoma. MET amplified, MET altered osmol cell lung cancer you're right, is a, a, a subgroup of lung cancer uh, rarer is about 2-5% of all the nosmortal lung cancer patients. It is a form of lung cancer that tend to be more aggressive with poor prognosis and tend to display increased resistance to standard chemotherapy. This is why there is the need of new agents for this specific subtype of, of tumors. That's indeed interesting news. And it's just a small portion of what you'll be presenting during ASCO. Let's switch gears a bit. AstraZeneca has partnerships with a variety of companies. One of these partnerships is with a company called Daiichi Sankyo. Together with Daiichi Sankyo, you're developing a very targeted drug, an antibody drug conjugate or ADC. The drug is approved in the United States and is still being reviewed by other regulatory bodies around the world. But how are these therapeutic or targeted drugs changing therapies? Antibody drug conjugate, uh, called also EDCs, are, are drugs uh, that uh, arm antibodies with uh, cancer-killing agents so that uh, we can target uh, specific tumors. So these uh, armed antibodies circulate in the bloodstream until they find uh, and bind the specific uh, proteins or receptors uh, that are in the cancer cell, usually in the surface of the cancer cell. When the ADC enters the cancer cell, release the cancer-killing drug. Uh, so this, uh, uh, this approach is limiting negative effects uh, on the nearby early cells. So this can result fundamentally in higher activity and reduced toxicity compared to conventional chemotherapy. This is the concept of the ADC. One of these antibody drug conjugates is called trastuzumab deroxticon. You're developing this drug for the treatment of patients with HER2-positive advanced gastric cancer and other HER2-positive cancers. Tell me a little bit more about this drug. Correct. Uh, an HER2, the trastuzumab deruxtecan, is uh, a, an HER2 ADC, and uh, we believe an HER2 uh, can be really transformative for patients. We already have an approval in the United States for an ER2 in ER2 positive metastatic breast cancer. This year, ASCO, we are presenting uh, impressive data across three other tumor types, gastric cancer, lung cancer, and colorectal cancer. 
as you were mentioning, uh, we have a breakthrough designation in, in lung cancer, and we have a breakthrough designation and orphan designation in gastric cancer. The gastric cancer data, by the way, uh, will be published tomorrow also in New England Journal of Medicine. The data we are presenting across these three tumor types are uh, the evidence that this drug has the potential really to treat multiple tumor types with very high activity and in settings that represent a very extremely high unmet needs. All these trials have been conducted in patients heavily pretreated with other anti-cancer regimens that are not responding to anything else. So we believe that this uh, uh, level of activity, the medical need where the study has been conducted, can uh, further speed up the, the development and the approval of, of this drug. Together with Aichisankyo, we are uh, working extremely well in uh, uh, continuing to build on, uh, on the development plan of this drug. We have uh, over 40 clinical trials planned in, in, uh, in the CDP of this drug, and is, in, to my knowledge, one of the broadest uh, uh, plans across the industry today. Uh, and so this, in, in my view, can really uh, represent really an opportunity to advance uh, the, the R2 science and can transform the outcomes of many more patients around the world in different indications. Now, Tertuzumab deruxtecan has been conditionally approved by the Food and Drug Administration in the United States. But it is not yet approved in other countries, and as a result, the drug is not yet available in Europe or the United Kingdom. When do you think is this treatment options available for people outside of the United States? What is your expected timeline? The discussion with uh, the health authorities uh, beyond the United States uh, in, in, in other areas of the world uh, to evaluate the, the, the best regulatory pathway for an ERTO uh, are ongoing. So this is happening. Uh, I cannot provide you timelines for this, but uh, we, are, uh, we are discussing with several health authorities across the world. So it would be fair to say that at this time, there is no expected time for the availability of this drug in Europe or the United Kingdom. It's not dependent only on us. We, we try our best to bring this drug as soon as possible to patients. Well, that's good news. So I think that it's fair to say that you have some really exciting updates during the virtual ASCO meeting. This is really good news for patients with difficult-to-treat cancers. I hope that next time, during a future ASCO or other meetings, we can look back at these results and explore more development options. Thank you for your time, Dr. Machesi. It will be my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. After the break, we're back with Dr. Jeffrey Skolnick, Dr. Jeffrey Solnick is Vice President Clinical Development at Innovio Pharmaceuticals. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is encouraging cancer patients and survivors to be extra cautious during the COVID-19 pandemic. Cancer treatment, especially chemotherapy, weakens the immune system, making you at higher risk of severe illness. Dr. Lisa Richardson is director of the CDC's Division of Cancer Prevention and Control. Take these steps to stay healthy. Wash your hands often with soap and water. Clean and disinfect frequently touch surfaces daily. Stay home. If you must leave, keep at least six feet between you and others. Avoid touching your face, eyes, nose, and mouth with unwashed hands. If your temperature is 100.4 or higher, call your doctor. 
Use CDC's coronavirus self-checker to help you make decisions about seeking medical care. Make sure your caregivers and household members are aware of your higher risk and take precautions. Visit cdc.gov backslash coronavirus and preventcancerinfections.org for more health tips. This is the Alcazine Brief with Peter Hofflin. In our second interview today, I talk with Dr. Jeffrey Skolnick. Dr. Skolnick is Vice President Clinical Development at Innovia Pharmaceuticals. Innovia Pharmaceuticals is developing novel DNA medicines to potentially treat and protect people from serious diseases, including life-threatening diseases associated with HPV, cancer, and infectious diseases. Dr. Skolnick, welcome to the Oncosim Brief. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Before we're going to talk about your company and the products you're developing, how are you and your friends and family and your co-workers at Innovia doing during the coronavirus pandemic? Well, first of all, thank you so much for asking. I really appreciate, Peter, you uh, checking on not only me personally, but also all of Innovia. And, you know, interestingly, as you may know, Innovio has been extremely busy during the recent COVID pandemic, as we are at hard at work on developing what could be the first DNA medicine to prevent COVID-19. Our team is one of a few that are really leading the way in vaccine development in the U.S., certainly, if not globally. And so we've been pretty busy over the last several months. We've also been busy at our immuno-oncology work, in addition to our infectious disease work and our work in human papillomavirus. I think like everyone else, I'm probably tired of working in my home office, but, you know, social distancing is still the right thing to do. And so washing my hands and playing my part, uh, I think like everyone else. It's definitely a time when our normal life has dramatically changed. But it is good to keep all these precautions you just mentioned first and foremost in mind. You've already referred to this, but let's talk about the kind of drugs your company is developing. If I'm not mistaken, you have about 15 different DNA medicines in development. You've developed HPV, human papillomavirus drugs. Tell me a little bit about what is happening in this area. Absolutely. So... Inovio is working with DNA medicines that are really trying to both treat and prevent human disease. Our program that arguably up until COVID-19, and still technically is the case, that's furthest along in the clinic is the human papillomavirus program, our DNA medicine VGX3100, in which we are looking to prevent the development of cervical cancer or high-risk cervical premalignant conditions in women who have already started to demonstrate transformation towards pre-cervical cancer. So these are women who have been infected with HPV-16 or HPV-18 virus, and they receive Inovio's DNA medicine And that DNA medicine, given to them intramuscularly and followed by what we call electroporation, given by our smart device, ideally will revert their disease to either low-grade 
or normal and eradicate the HPV virus itself. We have data from our phase 2B program, which was blinded and randomized, and we anticipate data from this phase 3 program, the first of two phase 3 programs towards the end of this year. And certainly we're extremely excited about those data. But as you suggested, you know, we are, again, extremely hard at work on our infectious disease pipeline, COVID-19, and as we're talking about today, also our immuno-oncology program as well. You know, one of the great things about Inovia's technology and, and our DNA medicines are that if there's a protein that we can encode for, and that, that pretty much really is almost any protein, we haven't found a protein yet we really couldn't encode for, then we can build a synthetic circular DNA plasmid. We can build a, a piece of synthetic DNA, a circle, a ring, and we either intramuscularly or intradermally can ad administer that DNA medicine to either a patient with a disease or a subject looking to prevent disease. And again, together with our smart device, we're able to generate an immune response. And that's really what the core of Inovia's technology aims to do, to generate robust immune response against whatever the target may be to, again, either treat or prevent human disease. So you refer to a vaccine. Now, for our listeners to really understand this, when you talk about a vaccine, you're not necessarily talking about the same kind of vaccines you may get as a child to prevent disease or as an adult in the form of a vaccine to protect one against the flu or pneumonia. So tell me, what kind of vaccines are you talking about? What kind of vaccines are you developing? That's right. So, you know, again, we can use our DNA medicines to either or both treat or prevent disease. But Peter, as you're suggesting, really what our DNA medicines do arguably are maybe twofold. So one is to generate a robust antigen, protein-specific response, and that response is a T-cell response towards either a cancer antigen, cancer protein, a viral protein, for example, that then treats the particular illness. With a typical, quote-unquote, vaccine, usually we're looking to prevent. And the way we prevent is we're administering something that is either looking like, for example, a virus, acting like a virus, and then causing the immune system to build a response towards that. What our DNA medicines are doing are looking to actually not only generate a response, but really treat. So yes, Inovio's medicines can generate antibodies that can protect against, for example, an infection, but they can also generate T cells that can then, activated and specific, go off and treat the tumor in glioblastoma's case, in our GBM study, for example, that are expressing those antigens. So whereas, again, with a conventional vaccine, you can't really treat a disease that's already there. We know that with HPV and Gardasil, for example, with our medicines, you can. We're looking to really eradicate that disease, whether it be cancer or a virus. Thank you. That's indeed a good explanation about the preventative vaccines, what they do, and the therapeutic vaccines and what they can do. You've developed a DNA medicine to treat glioblastoma or GBM. Now, glioblastoma is a very difficult to treat form of brain cancer. Tell me, why is this particular disease so hard to treat? 
Yeah, you're absolutely correct. GBM remains one of the most deadly cancers. The majority, if not all, patients who are diagnosed with GBM will unfortunately die of their disease within, at a maximum, three years. But most are unfortunately dying of their disease within one or two years. And despite the amount of work that has gone into researching glioblastoma over the past decade or two, we have not seen an appreciable difference in clinical outcomes, specifically in overall survival, with maybe one exception. We've seen no meaningful clinical difference in those decades, despite that work that's been done. Why is it so hard to treat GBM? Historically, we thought that it was all about the blood-brain barrier, but we're learning that we can get immune cells into the brain right where they belong. In fact, it's normal to see immune cells in the brain fighting off whether it's infection or even potentially cancer cells. That's very important for ANOVIO because it means that we have no theoretical reason to believe. We think if we can make T cells using our therapy, they can get into the brain and do what they need to do to kill glioblastoma cells. But historically, that barrier, blood-brain barrier, has been a limitation for conventional chemotherapeutics, the normal medicines that we use to treat cancer, because they haven't been able to cross that barrier. We don't think that'll be true. We don't think that is true for T cells, but that has certainly been historically true in the past. I think the other challenge is also that patients that are diagnosed with GBM, by definition, have disease that has spread past the area where you can just see it. So even if you get an MRI and then surgery and you think you've gotten all the tumor, we know that there's more there. And so what that means is that it becomes even more important to give a therapy that's honing in on those invisible cancer cells in the brain. And again, we certainly hope that our Inovio medicines and our immunotherapeutics can the medicine that does exactly that, generate those killer T cells to go ahead and fight those GBA and tumor cells. The fact that glioblastoma is not easy to see makes surgery also very hard, right? That's exactly right. You know, it's interesting because GBM is not a tumor, for example, like lung cancer or breast cancer that tends to metastasize. So, you know, what that means is that all of the tumor that you're fighting really is in your brain, sometimes in your spinal column, but almost always only in your brain. But yet, exactly as you said, the real challenge is if you can't see it to take it out, you don't know to take it out. And really, in truth, there's only so much that surgery can do. At some point, you have to stop cutting. And so that's where we feel our immunotherapeutics can really take over. Let's take a break. And then we're back with our interview with Dr. Jeffrey Skolnick. All across the country, people are coming together to speed up what we can learn about health. The All of Us Research Program is calling on one million people to join us as we try to change the future of health. For your family, for future generations, for all of us. Visit joinallofus.org and find out how you can become one in a million. 
The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. This is the Alcazine Brief with Peter Hofflin. And welcome back. If you're just joining us, in this episode of the Oncosine Brief, we talk with Dr. Jeffrey Skolnick. Dr. Jeffrey Skolnick is Vice President of Clinical Development at Innovio Pharmaceuticals. We talk about clinical developments and data Innovio Pharmaceuticals is presenting during the 2020 annual meeting of the American Society of Clinical Oncology. This year, not in Chicago, but an online as virtual event. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Oncosine Brief. During ESCO, you're presenting some exciting new data for the treatment of glioblastoma. Tell me a little bit more about the results you're presenting. So we have our Innovio medicine, DNA medicine, INO5401, which is a combination of three DNA plasmids encoding for three different tumor-associated antigens, human telomerase, HTERT, WT1, Wilms tumor, and PSMA, a prostate-specific membrane antigen, all of which are known to be expressed and in many cases upregulated in GBM, we have data, the INO5401 DNA medicine, plus what we call INO9012, encoding for human IL-12, which helps to generate that T-cell response appropriately, in combination with the PD-1 inhibitor Smiplumab, collaborating with Regeneron, looking at patients with newly diagnosed glioblastoma. And what we're presenting at ASCO this year is our interim survival data at 12 months. And we've been able to show that the combination of INO5401 plus INO9012 with semiplumab, and importantly, with radiation and chemotherapy, temozolomide, we are able to show an overall survival at 12 months of approximately 85% whether patients have the MGMT promoter methylated or MGMT promoter unmethylated. You may know that patients in general who have MGMT promoter unmethylated status tend to do worse. Our patients in our study have an OS12, an overall survival at 12 months of 84.4% methylated and 85% if they're methylated. And that compares very favorably with what are historical OS-12 rates. I say it's important that we can give it with radiation and temozolomide because there's no trade-off with what are considered standards of care. We're able to give our novel therapy plus the PD-1 inhibitor, semiplumab, with standards radiation and temozolomide. And we're able to do that in a tolerable manner in a manner that's generating antigen-specific T-cells and an antigen-specific T-cell response to the plasmids, as well as, we hope, to be able to show, ultimately, this extension in overall survival. And right now, it's certainly early, but promising. Now, this is a phase two trial, and that means that a lot of work is still 
uh, expected or still needs to be done in clinical trials. Now, tell me a little bit more about the clinical trial process during the coronavirus. How is the coronavirus and the pandemic impacting the clinical trial process? Does the coronavirus pandemic impact how you can recruit and perform clinical trials? Yes. So, you know, again, as we started by talking about, Inovio is really focused on multiple therapeutic areas. And so we have been able to take our resource and spend a tremendous amount of time and focus ourselves specifically on COVID-19 to develop potentially what could be that first vaccine. But at the same time, my own team has remained focused in the oncology space and on immuno-oncology, specifically, as you mentioned, because, of course, this week is ASCO. And so my team, thankfully, has been able to continue to carry out all of the clinical research that it otherwise would be expected to do. And we've been, I would say, maybe lucky is the wrong word. Unfortunately, even though we are seeing a decrease in the number of patients and subjects that are able to come to the clinic in general, patients with GBM don't have that luxury. And so we are finding that they are still coming, especially if they're receiving study therapy, they're still coming for their visits because they have to. Our sites are taking absolutely appropriate precautions, and as are we, and certainly we're following FDA guidance as it relates to clinical trials during COVID-19. But we really are finding that we're able to follow up all of our patients, even, I would say, despite the clinical trial challenges around COVID-19. So patients are still coming to clinic. Our sites, for which we're very thankful, are still in contact with our patients and are still able to get those robust overall survival data that we really need. That is definitely good news. You've mentioned ASCO. This is the week of ASCO. Now, looking at what you are seeing outside of your own development programs, what are some of the interesting presentations we should pay attention to? Yeah, I, I think it's always interesting to see where we are going both with the it's interesting to say the word conventional, but I'll use the word conventional checkpoint inhibitors. Not so many years ago, no one would have called checkpoint inhibition conventional. Conventional checkpoint inhibitors, and what are the things that are moving us towards arguably more patients making it to what we call that tail, that overall survival tail? You know, we're still at a place where approximately 20%, maybe 30% of patients are benefiting from PD-1, PDL-1, CTLA-4 inhibition. And so we're still asking those questions, what gets us to 40, 50, 60, 80% of patients benefiting from those medications? I'm very excited to see new data looking at novel combinations. And of course, as you'd imagine, I'm always interested in looking at novel ways to harness the human immune system with different therapies. You know, for Inovio, it's extremely encouraging to see other similar technologies demonstrate efficacy if what they are able to show is a harnessing of the immune system specifically related to T-cells, because we truly are believers that those T-cells can really make a difference. We certainly believe in antibodies, for example, COVID-19, but ultimately it's very encouraging to me personally to see data that supports that immuno-oncology approach to cancer therapy. And I'm very interested to see some of the new novel combinations this year, 
as well as perhaps some twists on whether it's schedule or dose of our older medications. I think you're absolutely right. And it is exciting to see new data about potential treatments for cancer and hematological malignancies. Thank you for your time, Dr. Skolnick. I hope that in the near future we'll be able to talk a little bit further about what you and your teams are doing. Thank you, Peter, and I hope next time we can meet in person. That would be fantastic. In today's edition of the Ongers in Brief, I spoke with Dr. Christian Machassi, Senior Vice President and Head of Lay Development Oncology Research and Development at AstraZeneca. In our second interview, I spoke with Dr. Jeffrey Skolnick, Vice President, Clinical Development at Innovio Pharmaceuticals. For more information about AstraZeneca, visit the company's website at AstraZeneca.com. And for more information about Innovio Pharmaceuticals, their website is Innovio.com. For us here at the Oncosine Brief, we want to thank you, our listeners, sponsors and advertisers, for your ongoing support. Your support makes it possible that you can hear this program via PRX, Public Radio Exchange, and in the United Kingdom and mainland Europe via UK Health Radio. And you can also download our program via podcast and streaming media, including iTunes and Spotify. For more information about supporting the Oncosine Brief, go to Oncosine at www.oncosine.com. If you are living in the United States and want to receive our newsletter, text the word CANCER, C-A-N-C-E-R, to 66866. And we will make sure that you'll receive our newsletter, which includes an overview of the latest news in oncology and hematology. Thank you all, and thank you for listening. And join us again for our next episode. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is The Youngest in Brief. The Alcazine Brief is produced for Sun Valley Communication by Peter Hofflin, Sonia Portillo, Evan Wint, David Kaler, and distributed by InPress Media Group. Support for the Alcazine Brief comes from listeners of this station and our commercial underwriters and advertisers. For more information about underwriting and sponsoring options, visit our website at alcazine.com forward slash underwriting. The Oncozine Brief contains health and medicine-related information and is provided for educational and entertainment purposes only. The content is not intended as a substitute for professional medical or health advice and does not replace your doctor's advice. Your doctor is the best person to answer questions about your personal health. If you hear something in this program that doesn't agree with what your doctor has told you, ask him or her about it. <laughs>